The Lifestylist, episode 82, featuring Evan Brand. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. Okay, open those eardrums. I got an exciting announcement, all right? I'm going to be hosting two events at the Soho House this month in LA, and I'm going to give you, my friend, the listener, a chance to come hang out for free. So here's the deal. I'm going to be presenting my Mind, Body, and Spirit Solution program, the same one I just did in New York City last week. It was a huge hit. Tons of listeners came down and hung out. I had a great time, as did they. Shit was epic. I want to repeat that in LA. So here's the dates. Wednesday, August 9th at 10 a.m., at the Little Beach House Malibu, and then Wednesday, August 30th at 10 a.m. at the Soho House West Hollywood. So if you're going to be around L.A., you are invited. Here's the deal, though. You can't just roll in there. It's a members-only club, and the space is extremely limited for both of these events. You're going to be on my personal guest list, essentially, like as one of my friends. So if you want to do that, it's first come, first serve. You got to get on it quick, my friend. Go to lukestory.com forward slash contact. That's just my regular contact page on my website. Shoot me an email that says RSVP Malibu or RSVP Hollywood. And if there's still room by the time you get to a computer, I'll put you on the list, send you an email with all the info. So go to lukestory.com forward slash contact. Tell me which event you want to RSVP for. And if I can get you in there, I will do so. Again, the dates are Wednesday, August 9th at 10 a.m. at the Little Beach House Malibu and Wednesday, August 30th at 10 a.m. at Soho House West Hollywood. It's going to be really fun. It's just me on stage dropping knowledge. It's going to be a great time. So come hang out. Ladies and germs, what's up? We're back, the Lifestylist Podcast. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for tuning back in. If this is your first time here, welcome to the club, homies and homegirls. Today's guest is my friend Evan Brand, who is one of the country's premier podcasters. He's got a podcast called Not Just Paleo, and actually it's grown so much more into a paleo podcast. In fact, in the interview, I asked him how many downloads he's got now, and I think he says... Oh, he stopped counting at 7 million downloads. For a point of reference, uh, as of this recording, I think I'm around 600. So dude's been crushing it. He reaches a lot of ears and there is no accident there because he is a true expert in functional medicine, biohacking, and just creating a beautifully healthy lifestyle. So in this conversation, which ran, I think, a couple hours, this is, of course, a two-part episode, as I love to do. We talk about the following topics in great detail. How to hack the toxic lighting on your computer, all of your devices, and in your home. It turns out the junk lighting that we're exposed to today, you guys, and I'm not being a tinfoil hat guy here. This is like legit science. If you heard my episode with Jack Cruz recently, we talked about this ad infinitum. So this is a real issue. But Evan gives us some very simple, practical things we can do to protect our kids, husbands, wives, families, friends from this uh, nasty lighting that we've got going on in the world today. 
also talk about the importance, <laughs> speaking of which, we talk about the importance of being not being too neurotic and controlling with your health regimens. You know what I'm saying? Like, I tend to get a little off the deep end with this stuff. I admit I'm trying to learn how to loosen up. I'm getting there slowly but surely. And Evan really brings some great perspective to that topic, seeing as he's really devoted his life and his whole income to this field. He's got a very balanced approach. Then how repressed negative emotions are actually worse for you than junk food. Turns out your negative emotions can really screw up your body. And how to heal emotional trauma through myofascial release and other forms of body work. Then we really get into the medicinal herbs and nootropics and smart drugs, which is fun. I love geeking out on the details. So we cover uh, ashwagandha, things like lemon balm, rhodiola, rosea, and then of course the risks of overdosing on herbs when you get a little too excited like I've done on numerous occasions. In terms of nootropics and smart drugs, you know, things that really improve your cognition, memory, focus, mental acuity, all of that, we take a deep dive into the racetams, which are some of my favorites personally. I'm on a bunch right now, as a matter of fact. Otherwise, I'd be a blubbering idiot. Maybe I still am. I don't know. <laughs> it's up to you, the listener. I guess it's subjective. And then we talk about my all-time favorite, which is something called Fenibit, which is really like the best natural high ever, but you got to know how to use it safely. It has potential side effects, and particularly if you use it too often. So we talk about that, but it's a really great, great supplement. I love it. And then um, we talk about things like Siltep, L-theanine. And then the big question, is coffee really good for you? You know, a lot of health experts are really into coffee and some of them think it's the worst thing ever. It's very polarized in the health community right now in terms of if we should be drinking coffee or not. And Evan leans more on the not side, but gives us some good tips on how to avoid the most toxic types of coffee if we are going to drink it. And then understanding the role hormones and thyroid health play in weight loss, because we talk a lot about ketogenic diets and ketosis and um, how, how women can be thin and ripped on a keto diet and all this stuff. A lot of questions I'm getting about that recently, so we address those. It really comes down to, you guys, a lot of it. It really has to do with getting your hormones and thyroid tested and really going from the inside out, even more so in some cases than like diet and exercise. They all play a part, but if your hormones are jacked, you're going to be very frustrated trying to lose weight. And Evan teaches us why. Then what's the deal with gluten? Is it really that bad? I mean, what does it do to you? He has some scary stats on uh, my old friend gluten, which were really disappointing to hear because I try to avoid it, but every once in a while, you know what I'm saying? And that leads us into the next topic, which is leaky gut. If you don't know what that is, you definitely want to listen to this because I think he says one in three people have it. And if you do, it's going to jack your shit up. So we talk about what leaky gut is, how it affects your body negatively. And of course, because I always want to offer solutions, this isn't a scare tactic show, how do we fix it? And it turns out we really have to deal with our gut infections, parasites, and getting rid of those safely in addition to dealing with heavy metals and various toxins in the body to really heal that gut. Because the gut, it turns out, is the root of your health. So this is an information-packed episode. Again, thank you for coming back. If you're back to see us again or hear us again, if you're new, welcome. We're dropping bombs like this every week. Every Tuesday, there's a brand new episode and double episodes like this take place on Tuesdays and Fridays. In other words, if an episode's over, say, two hours, I usually split it in half. Because who really has two hours to sit there, you know? If you, if you put it this way, if you have a two-hour commute, you should find a new job, maybe. That sounds horrible. But uh, anyway, thank you for joining me. I'm really excited to bring you this epic conversation with the genius known as Evan Brand. 
I'd like to take a moment to again thank today's sponsor, Four Sigmatic, and remind you to go to foursigmatic.com and enter the code The Lifestylist to save 15% off the world's most chronic herbal and medicinal mushroom elixir blends. I would again check out the Rishi, Chaga, Lion's Mane, Cordyceps. These are really convenient, super potent standalone drinks that are really easy to make or great add-ons to your bulletproof coffee or other drinks that you might be making at home. And it's just infinitely easier than having to empty hundreds, if not thousands, of herbal capsules into your drinks like I did for about 15 years before these guys came along. So really convenient, super tasty, very potent mushroom and herbal and superfood elixirs from foursigmatic.com. And don't forget to enter the code THELIFESTYLIST at checkout to save that sweet 15% off. I want to take a minute to remind you to check out Clear Light Saunas. If you go to HealWithHeat.com, enter the code LUKE, you're going to save 450 bucks, get free shipping and a free backrest if you just mention my name, like Hollywood style, just drop my name. Say, yo, I know Luke. I know the guy at the door. He does a little something, something. You know what I mean? Or you can just call them at 800-317-5070. That's healwithheat.com. Use the code Luke. Now, why do I like Clear Light Saunas? Why am I so sprung on this particular company? I'll tell you why. They're low EMF, no chemically treated wood, no paint, no varnish, no glue, no off-gassing. They all come with chromotherapy lighting. They come with a Bluetooth sound system and ceiling speakers. They don't use any manufactured wood, even the places where you don't see the wood. So there's no plywood wood veneers particle board no funky weird stuff they also have a solid wood floor which is really cool and there's heaters underneath so you're getting that infrared heat from underneath your feet on all sides of your legs all sides of your body you're surrounded by this amazing healing infrared light a lot of other saunas have slatted floors and so like insects dust and sweat and crap drops through there and it's just nasty so i like the solid wood floor Another awesome thing about Clearlight is they have a 100% lifetime warranty for the entire sauna and all its components for the life of the original owner. So if you buy one of these units, which start at $24.95, and then you're going to get a big discount if you know me, it's covered for as long as you're alive. Now, if you hand it down to your kids, I don't know, you're on your own. (laughs) But as long as you're alive, if you bought the sauna, you're covered. And a lot of these sauna companies, I'm telling you, you got to watch out for. Not only do they have really high EMFs, which means really bad electricity that's firing at you. Um, But they also have a really bad lifetime. I'm using air quotes, warranty. And if you read the fine print, it will say the lifetime is defined as seven years or something funky like that. So these guys don't play games. They're a really great company. They're family owned. They're super easy to deal with, super friendly. And again, all you have to do is call them at 800-317-5070 or go to healwithheat.com and use the code Luke and you're going to get straight hooked up. They've got indoor and outdoor units. They're my favorite thing in the world. So you are welcome. Enjoy that. And remember, if you want to learn even more about infrared saunas, you can take a time trip back to episode 24 and you can hear an entire show about just that. You are listening to episode two of two with Evan Brand. Evan. 
Evan Brand's an author, teacher, and a functional medicine practitioner who works with clients to help them overcome all sorts of emotional, mental, and physical issues. He's also a host of one of my favorite podcasts. I've been listening to him for a while, so I'm really excited to have him here on the show for you today. So let's jump into some of the more like on the smart drug, less herbal spectrum. So one of the first smart drugs that I discovered was paracetam. And then I've also used, like I did some anaracetam today because I'm out of paracetam. I've oscillated between the two, but I will tell you, paracetam, you can take so much of that stuff and it's water soluble. This is just my experience. I want to hear yours and what they're actually doing. But I'll tell you what, dude, if I have to do a public speaking, record a podcast, if I have to do any kind of talking on any level, if I take paracetam, I swear to God, my fucking IQ goes up like 20 points. Like I become so much more articulate, uh, memory recall, word recall. I'll find myself doing things like jumping back to a conversation thread from an hour ago, just like boink and bring it right back. I mean, it's like my mental acuity in that way is undeniably positively affected by paracetam. And paracetam, I'm always a bit vague on, but paracetam I'll put in like a big jug of water and I'll sip it all day when I teach my classes at School of Style. I'm talking for nine hours a day, just all day long. And I never miss a beat as long as I'm like chugging that paracetam water. So what's the deal first with racetams? First, I thought that racetams, including paracetam, I thought they were modulating dopamine but I looked into some literature and there's tests. I don't know if there's human studies, but there's rat studies. They're not finding any dopamine activity changing. I thought it was working on the dopamine system because that's just how it feels when you're taking racetams. That was my guess. So I don't know exactly the mechanism, what it's actually fixing, what it's optimizing. I've got no clue. I just know the stuff works. And I know that when you start going into your more potent racetams, like your aniracetams, your oxiracetam, whew, that stuff gets intense. Uh, my first time with oxiracetam, uh, that was actually when I was writing my second book. I had been writing for like nine hours. My fingers literally felt like they were connected like the matrix to the keyboard. I mean, I had never typed so eloquently and so accurately. I was hardly ever hitting the backspace button. I was just flying. So I had a lot of weird physical benefits too. Personally, I don't push racetams that much. I don't ever, you know, recommend or sell them to any of my clients just because I like the herbs so much better. My gut just tells me, hey, go with herbs. I've typically been able to modulate neurotransmitters and things with a combination of amino acids like DL-phenylalanine or tyrosine, things like that. I've gotten much, much better results with much less pushback and much less side effects. Now, I'm not saying racetams are bad for you, but for some people, it just pushes them a bit too hard. And I'm typically working, I mean, you got to realize I'm typically working with people, um, 40s, 50s, 60s. They're a little bit more freaked out by the idea of a synthetic substance like a Rastam. Yeah. (laughs) This is the thing though, dude, and I respect your ethics and your hesitation to give someone something that's not natural, but this pisses me off when I work with clients or friends and they're like, you know, I go, dude, here, have some paracetam, you know, when you take your test or whatever they're doing. And they're like, is it natural? I'm like, really, dude? Let's go in your refrigerator. Let's have a look at what's natural. How about your medicine cabinet in your bathroom? Yeah. And let's look at the Tylenol and then let's Google Tylenol dangers and see how many studies, you know, that suggest that that's actually a very dangerous drug, you know? So it's like so many that it's like, 
if something helps you, people are super paranoid about it being natural. But if it's just something that's like publicly accepted and you can walk into Rite Aid and find it, then they're like, oh, I don't care. Like it'll have warnings in the commercial, like may cause suicidal depression, may cause you to ax murder your whole family. You know, it's like in the fine print, it's like you might cut your own penis off in the middle. I mean, it's like the shit that you hear in those things. And then I'm like, oh, maybe, you know, try some paracetam. And there's like no history of anyone ever harming themselves but yeah, it's not technically natural. I mean, and you I won't. would uh, do you know. And, and I, look, and here's the deal: and you won't harm yourself with any racetams in any true nootropic, for that matter. Absolutely, take as much nupept as you want. Take as much oxiracetam as you want. Yeah, you're gonna have some effects. You might get a terrible headache if you do nupept because the dosage is like the head of a toothpick. It's about a thousand times more effective and stronger than paracetam. It's unbelievable. However, for me, the issue is always compliance. And so if I'm working with someone for a period of time, I don't want to give them something that overstimulates them so much. They're like, oh my God, my brain was on fire. Yes, it was good, but it was a bit too much. And then they get scared away from trying anything else. So I always like to baby step my way up. There's nothing wrong with nootropics. There's nothing wrong with the Racetam family, for that matter, totally safe, never going to kill anybody, way better than the track record of ibuprofen killing about 19,000 per year, also contributing to intestinal bleeding, leaky gut, maybe contributing to Alzheimer's, dementia. We don't know the full implications of like ibuprofen and stuff that people pop like Skittles. So absolutely, if you told me your brain wasn't working, absolutely, racetams could work. But for me, I just like herbs better. It's not that they work better. I just like herbs better. And so once again, I'm biased on what feels best for me. Yeah, totally. I mean, dude, trust me. I, you know, I just ordered a big, like, I don't know, it's like a pound of ashwagandha extract. It was one of the companies on Amazon, but I'm like the asshole that emailed them and I was like, what's your extraction method? Yeah. Is it um, radiated? I mean, I know the questions to ask, and unless they're lying, they answered right. So I've been taking tons of that and I just love the smell of herbs. You know, they just have, they all have a unique smell. I remember being a kid and going to San Francisco and going to Chinatown and like walking in those um, herb markets and stuff. And I just, I always love the smell and just the look of these weird plants that you don't see at the grocery store. So I'm with you on that due to my background. When I take something, I want to have a feeling. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm looking for like, oh shit, that did something, which brings me to, uh, your point of like listening to the dosage, and this is like a word, you know, a warning to the listeners. But I was set to record a podcast recently here at the house because unfortunately you live far away, or we'd be doing this like on Facebook Live, Instagram Live. I have videos, lights, all this stuff. So I have this guy coming over uh, to talk about cannabis, which is exciting. I've never done a show on that. And I had some Yohimbi HCL, which is like, Yohimbi is like an aphrodisiac for those of you listening. You know, it's good for sex, but it also is good for just giving you energy and stuff. So it was early in the morning and uh, I was like, ah, I need some energy. I'm really, you know, sleep deprived. So I was like, ah, I'll take a little bit of Yohimbi. And I accidentally like emptied the whole jar of it into my morning smoothie. I was like, oh no, it's kind of expensive. You know, I didn't want to waste it. So it was floating on top because it's like this dry white powder. So I scooped it out and put it back in its little thing. And there was, I thought a little bit left in there, you know, and like you said, the match head, that's what the size of the dose is on this Yohimbi. The little spoon is literally like half of a match head because it's not the whole circle. So apparently a bunch was left in the smoothie and I just pounded my smoothie down. Dude, and an hour later, I I literally, I'm not even exaggerating. I almost went to the ER. I had like the worst, my heart was beating out of my chest 
like I just, you know, was injected with crystal meth or something. I took two saunas. I took a cold shower. I took every like calming herb, GABA, every magnesium, everything that would like settle me down. Nothing put a dent in it. And it was the most uncomfortable feeling I've had in literally in 20 years, dude, since I like did oh. real, too much real drugs on accident, you know? And eventually uh, the guy shows up to record the podcast and I'm like, you guys, I got to warn you, I am psychotic right now because I overdosed on you, Himby. And I talked about it in the episode. It actually added, you know, a bit of fun, I think, to the interview. But dude, you really do with some of this stuff, you really do have to start off, you know, with micro doses and really feel how sensitive you are because... I don't know, you know, we're all a snowflake, right? And some of us really are more sensitive to things like that. I think the dosage I took that day would have like freaked anyone's body out. Yeah. But you mentioned modafinil, which is personally one of my favorite smart drugs, but I'm super sensitive to it. So like the first time I ever got, it's like a 200 milligram tablet. And the first time I did half a one, way too much way, way too stimulating. I drove from LA to Shasta in like six hours, going 90 the whole time. I was driving like Jason Bourne and I was like talking to three people in the car literally nonstop the whole time. My friends were like, dude, I think you kind of took too much of whatever that was. You're acting high. I was like, oh shit. So then I went down for a couple of years, like I do a quarter here and there and that's still a little too stimulating. I get a lot done. I'll sit down and answer 500 old emails in an hour. I mean, you really become a machine. But now I take it only on special occasions and I literally do half of a quarter, you know, I guess an eighth, which is a tiny, tiny little sliver, barely noticeable. And I'll throw that in the smoothie and blend it. And that's like my modafinil for the day. I did that this morning, in fact. And I feel not mentally fatigued, but I feel very comfortable and relaxed at the same time. You ought to chat with uh, our mutual local friend, Andrew Hill. You ought to chat with him about his modafinil experience. He, he hates it. ER. I did. I did, dude. I interviewed him about it. And he was like, that stuff's satanic, you know. But here, here's the thing. To my point and, and to your point, we'll get back to a few more. I've also turned a lot of people on to modafinil. I say, listen, start with like the tiniest sliver. And they're like, no, I can handle it. And they'll take a half or even a whole one. They're like, eh, I didn't really feel anything. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't even notice it. I'm like, what? It really, really just depends on someone's biochemistry and what's going on in your brain, you know, with some of this stuff. So I agree that you should exercise caution and definitely start with the herbs, but there's a lot of interesting stuff out there. So, what about acetylcholine? I've not used it. I only researched about it. I read about it. I'm not even confident to speak much about acetylcholine because I had only done research for the book on it because it was a requested nootropic that I cover. I know that a lot of people can be acetylcholine dominant or they can be choline dominant, for example. So if you're taking something like acetylcholine or you're taking something like an alpha GPC, you can get a bit of jaw tension and just not generally feel well. Like myself, I'm choline dominant. Dave Asprey, I chatted with him. He said he's choline dominant. So if you're pushing anything with the word choline in your body, including acetyl or the alpha GPC, you may get that tension. That's about all I could say about that one. Right, right. And don't you get tons of that from just eating like good, healthy egg yolks too? Is that you the could. same? Yeah, you're going to get choline, but I mean, then you run into the question of, well, how someone's gut health, how much choline is really in there? How did you cook the egg? What temperature did you cook the egg? Did you modify the choline because you did your egg scrambled? You cooked them too high? So I just think with the, I like the idea of food as medicine, but if I think you're, if your goal is to modify brain chemistry, don't say I'm going to eat 
five extra shiitake mushrooms to get XYZ. Just go for the go for the nutrient that's been formulated for that purpose. Right, right. And what's your current view on coffee and caffeine? I think last time we talked, you're like, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it, just for, for brain health. Well, there's benefits. There's definitely some antioxidants and cool stuff with coffee. I think it's crazy that there's companies that can be massive in selling coffee, but they're not organic or biodynamic, and there could potentially be pesticide issues. So that's what I always worry about. I run a chemical test on people called the GPL Tox, and there's also a glyphosate panel you can run through Great Plains. And I'm seeing people who drink coffee a lot, especially non-organic coffees. They've got massive levels of glyphosate, even though they say their diet's organic. So I'm assuming it has to come from the coffee. So just due to the mitochondrial damage that happens from glyphosate, I would say if it's not organic coffee, probably stay away from it. I'm a huge fan of mixing coffee if people want to do it with theanine just to have that kind of benefit where uh, theanine is an amino acid for people found in green tea. You're going to be able to supplement with about one or 200 milligrams of coffee. You'll feel pretty darn good. Um, cold brew coffee has gotten really popular. Cold brew is going to be a bit stronger just because of the way that they make it. So you're going to get much, much more caffeine. So if you're somebody like me who's a super slow metabolizer of caffeine, if you were to touch cold brew, it may be a bit too much. So you better have some <laughs> theanine on hand or some lemon balm or something. People may say I'm biased once again because I don't do coffee. I don't feel well with it because it I'm just I'm super slow metabolizer of caffeine. So I the only caffeine I do is in matcha green tea. But does it have benefits? Yeah, sure thing. I mean, I saw something the other day where there was a cool like correlation study between coffee consumption and optimism. Like that people were more optimistic who drank coffee. My wife, when she drinks it, like today, she went out and she came back home and she was just talking and she was just smiling. I said, did you drink coffee between the last time I saw you? She goes, yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So she loves it and she drinks yeah. it almost daily where I drink it never. So, Yeah, I think it is. It goes back to that thing that everyone's chemistry is different. You know, I'm, I got tested and I metabolize caffeine fast. But I've always felt like I'm super sensitive to caffeine because if I do a cold brew or something, like I'm losing my shit. I'm way too hyper. Yeah. So I usually do like half decaf beans and half regular beans. I don't like to get crazy out there with caffeine, but it's just weird. I have friends, like two good friends that just can't tolerate it all. They just can't do it. That gives them so much anxiety. Yeah. And then I have other friends, they drink it all day long. They feel amazing. They can take a nap, like they're fine, so... Yeah, and I guess and also I think it depends on other factors too. If I look at your adrenal profile, it, most people when they're stressed, they think they've got high cortisol, but they've typically got low free cortisol. If you've just got a, a super low cortisol rhythm and I see that all of a sudden between morning and noon you have this massive spike and I say, what did you do? Did you do CrossFit? No, I just drank coffee. A lot of people see we modulate, all of us do this. We do this with drugs, we do it with sex, we do it with porn, we do it with Netflix, Instagram, Facebook, Amazon. We modify our neurotransmitters all the time. So buying things helps us with dopamine. Porn can help us with GABA, serotonin possibly. I mean, you've got all different types of things that we're doing to modify our brain chemistry. But if I notice that someone says, I don't feel quite right until I do my CrossFit or I don't feel quite right until I have my coffee, that makes me think, okay, you're probably depleted you're artificially boosting yourself up with high-intensity exercise, which is really whipping the adrenals to secrete adrenaline, noradrenaline, that puts you back into the normal range of cortisol. Therefore, you feel so good or you feel normal after you exercise or you feel normal after you do coffee. That tells me there's something off and you're just you're modulating your lifestyle via coffee, via exercise, self-abuse, whatever. 
binging, purging, same thing, to artificially elevate neurotransmitters. So if, if you're doing that, I think it's a problem, but otherwise I'd say go for it. And if you've got a fat source that you like to use with your coffee that's going to give you that slow digest, cool. Maybe it's less impactful on the sympathetic nervous system, but ultimately if you wanted to get geeky and see how is coffee affecting me personally, I don't drink it, so I don't do this test, but you could always hook up a heart rate variability device, measure your heart rate variability score, and if you drink it and you see that your score goes down, well, now you're in a state of sympathetic dominance, which is not good because you can't rest, digest, and restore your body if you're in sympathetic fight or flight from coffee. So measure it, see what happens. Cool, I like that. Yeah, measure, then decide. I want to ask next uh, something you, you alluded to earlier, and I get a lot of questions about this, and it's something I'm definitely not proficient in, and that's the ketogenic diet. For someone who's heard that buzzword, ketosis, key, you know, ketones, what is that just in a very basic framework? So ketones are what we produce naturally and we existed. We, our species probably arguably only survived with the ability for us to produce ketones. There were times of feast and famine. When we're doing a ketogenic diet, we're basically replicating feast and famine because seasonally in New York in January, there's no pineapple. There's not much growing in terms of vegetables when there's a foot of snow on the ground. So a vegan vegetarian diet, completely impossible by ancient standards. If you're living in the Arctic or you're living in Minnesota in January, there's nothing growing when it's covered in feet of snow. So all you would have been left with uh, would have been animals, which would have been one of the 60 million bison that roamed the U.S. It would have been elk. It would have been deer, bobcat, whatever your fancy. You would have been primarily on a fat-based animal product based diet during the winter and then spring comes around you start to get your berries you've got your wild strawberries you've got your wild blueberries so you start to get more sugar you start to get a little bit more glucose in the diet and then you get into summer you get into fall then you've got carbohydrates so then you've got potatoes coming in any gardener or farmer can help you to track a ketogenic diet down what's in season if you follow a seasonal diet you're probably depending on where you live if you live in the tropics you'll probably never be in a in a seasonal ketogenic diet if you're eating bananas and pineapple etc but if you're living in let's just say uh, like i said up north or even in kentucky here if you were following the food of the land if you were only foraging what's out there you're going to be in a ketogenic diet probably uh, in the winter or in the early end of spring before the berries come in, you're probably going to be just subsisting on meats and veggies unless you had potatoes or some other sort of uh, like starchy tuber stashed away in a, in a cellar or something. But the idea is that we can fuel our bodies much more effectively and efficiently by using ketones. Now, there's a lot of uh, companies, just like the blue blocking glasses that have gotten trendy, so have exogenous ketones. Now, do those have a benefit? It's debatable, very scarce amount of research on exogenous ketones. There's tons of research on ketogenic diets and epilepsy, which is the main reason for it. There's a lot of therapeutic value of it. But if I could make my own ketones for free, why buy them? You can make them. Your body can make them. It's free. You can make your ketones. Uh, Just like Mercola, when I chatted with him, he said he hadn't orally supplemented with vitamin D in seven years. And he had and he had kept his vitamin D up. So he doesn't buy vitamin D supplements because he gets it from the sun. So I'm a huge fan of a ketogenic diet, a very cyclical ketogenic diet too, because I've seen people who follow it for too long and they destroy themselves 
They'll start to even get nosebleeds in some cases because they've just lost any amount of glucose, any amount of starch. They've depleted the stored glycogen. They've depleted their liver. They've depleted their muscle tissue. Any stored reserve of glucose, they've depleted it. You can't manufacture mucus, your mucous membranes. And so when your nose gets super dry, you get a nosebleed. And I've seen that at the far end of somebody doing super, super low-carb ketogenic diet for too long. I'm a huge fan of just a day or two a week of kind of a refeed, which is just a fancy word for eating carbohydrates. And that could be a baked sweet potato, even just a half of a baked sweet potato may be all you need or a full baked sweet potato a couple times a week. If you're doing butter, cool, put some butter on there, put some cinnamon on there to help regulate blood sugar. I follow a ketogenic diet most of the time, but I don't call it a ketogenic diet. I don't promote it. I don't market myself as a ketogenic diet expert. I just happen to wake up and eat pastured meats and maybe a tiny handful of some blueberries and maybe a handful of macadamias. I'm probably in ketosis and you can detect it. You can buy meters and and such. But to me, I think once again, that gets into the conversation you and I have had before, which is the whole orthorexia thing where now, oh, I've got to measure my blood for ketones or measure my breath for ketones. It's like, unless you're just a geek and you've got nothing better to do, sure, go measure your blood for ketones. But I just go off my breath. Your breath gets a little bit fruity. You know that you're probably producing some ketones. And so this is the way that humans have existed in a ketotic state mildly for most of the time. And then there were times of feast where carbohydrates came in or they came in season. And then you weren't in ketosis and maybe you had three or 400 grams of carbs in a day and then you feel amazing and then you go back to ketosis again. Yeah, I like the balanced approach. When I first when I first started drinking bulletproof coffee, I just stopped craving sugar and carbs and I lost like 15 pounds in a couple months without doing anything except just drinking a really fatty coffee every morning. And then I found out about ketosis and was like, "Oh, I guess I'm in ketosis. This is awesome because I had so much energy and I didn't have those like energy dips at 4 in the afternoon where I wanted to fall asleep and it was amazing. But what happened is my sleep started to get really jacked up. Because I was like, I, you know, something, I don't even know how it works, but hormonally, like I was changing and I would wake up with like a cortisol explosion at three in the morning or something. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Eventually I traced it back to like, I needed to, as you say, refeed and like be more cyclical about the ketosis. And then I, you know, was measuring it for a while. And now I think I'm where you are. It's just like, I don't know. I just typically avoid a lot of foods that have a lot of carbs anyway, just because I don't eat a lot of that stuff. And I do a lot of um, you know healthy meats and fats and things like that. But I'm sure I'm probably in ketosis some of the time. But like I don't really like I don't have time to sit there and check either. Yeah. But I get a lot of questions about this. So I'm like I don't know enough about it to to speak on it. Um, one question I had the other day that maybe you have some input on was from a female, and she said that she's doing a ketogenic diet and she used to be super thin and she wants to be very thin and lean. And she said she's kind of, um, she's not overweight. She described it as like, I don't know, she had still a little cushion for the push in or something like that. You know, she had like a cute way of saying like, she's still a little bit more plump than she'd like to be. And she's just super, super frustrated by that. She wants to be like really lean and ripped and in ketosis. And she finds she can't do that. Do you have any reason why that might be happening? Well, I'd have to know why can't she do that? What happens when she does do that? Do you know? Well, she just said that she just is like, how did she say it? She's just like, he didn't say chunky, but she just said when she's on a ketogenic diet, she can't be lean, basically. Like she just is still a little bit, you know, robust. 
Let's take a brief intermission to tell you about the upcoming launch of my brand new 90-day lifestyle design coaching program where you can have the opportunity to work one-on-one with me. Just go to lukestory.com forward slash coaching to apply for a free 15-minute assessment call. We're going to have a quick chat to discover what your blocks are and find out how we can move you through them. Using my 20 years of experience in the fields of health and personal development, I'm going to guide you through my system of revolutionary mental, physical, and emotional transformation. This program is fully immersive. It's a deep dive into my nature-based philosophy of personal optimization. So based on your personal needs, we're going to work together to map out a blueprint for creating the happy and healthy lifestyle that you deserve, as well as a very practical approach to spirituality that you can actually carry into your relationships, your career, and your future. Here's the deal, though. Space for this program is very limited. I'm not even joking. I can only take on five clients per month, period. So go to lukestory.com forward slash coaching to apply for your free 15-minute consultation with me. And now back to the interview. So if I'm hearing it right, if she's saying that she went to a ketogenic approach, but she's still holding on to to fat, once again, all of the things that humans have evolved to keep us alive, to keep the species alive, those same things can still get turned on. She's probably got a potential thyroid reverse T3 problem. So when you're looking at a full thyroid panel, unless you ask your doctor or your endocrinologist to run it, they're not going to run a full thyroid panel. You've really got to run your free T3, your total T3, your T4, but you've also got to run your reverse T3, which I'll chat about why what could be going on with her. But then you've also got to run your TPO and your TG antibodies. If you just run one of the other antibodies, you don't have a full picture. So every client I do blood on, I'll run TPO, which stands for thyroid pyridoxase antibodies, and then TG, which is thyroglobulin antibodies. Now, these two different antibodies can indicate autoimmune thyroid disease, which could be Graves' disease, or it could be Hashimoto's. 90% of people, so people listening, I guarantee everyone listening knows someone that's been diagnosed hypothyroidism and they're taking thyroid drugs, whether it's a Synthroid, Levothyroxine, Cytomel, et cetera, guarantee they're taking thyroid drugs. Someone knows somebody listening. Now, if she's got TPO or TG antibodies and she's under this autoimmune attack, you've got to get those antibodies down because no amount of ketogenic diet, no amount of biohacks are going to help you with your weight if you can't get the numbers down. So you've got to get your TPO, TG antibodies run and then also back to reverse T3. What happens is the body's smart. I mean, the body doesn't want us to die, even though we want ourselves to die sometimes and we just want to give up on life. Your body doesn't. Your body wants to keep you alive. And so what happens is when you go ketogenic sometimes is that people create a reverse T3 problem. Reverse T3 is basically a a blank bullet. So you've got your revolver here. You've got five potential bullets in the chamber. Three of those bullets are your active T3 hormone. And then two of those bullets are reverse T3. So it's a blank bullet. So you pull the trigger, you're trying to shoot somebody oops, that was a blank bullet, that's your reverse T3. It's an inactive hormone, therefore it doesn't activate the metabolism. So if you get reverse T3 measured and you see any levels above five or above 10 on your reverse T3, which we could test for her, we could get her tested and figure out what's going on. If she's got that reverse T3 problem, it could be due to stress. So if she tried to if she tried to go cold turkey and go ketogenic too hard too fast, if she's got emotional stress, if she's got a hard job, she's got a lot of stress at work, she's got relationship problems, she's got parasites or other type of gut infections like bacteria or yeast, which I find in about nine out of every ten people. If she's got that stuff going on, that will also drive up reverse T three. And once again, that's a blank bullet. Remember, so when your thyroid is uptaking hormone, it's 
uptaking the reverse T3. So you've got this receptor site, and it's a blank. So the thyroid's like trying to go, but it's a dead spark plug. You're not creating the spark, therefore the metabolic fire is not engaged. So to fix it, you've got to make sure TPO antibodies are non-existent. You've got to make sure TG antibodies are non-existent. You've got to make sure TSH, which is in between one and two units, you've got to make sure that's dialed in. And then you've got to re- make sure reverse T3 is below about a five. If all that is taken care of, I guarantee she'll be able to lose weight, no problem. Cool, man. That's Wow, that's really good stuff. So basically... It has to do with hormones and really doing your panels, your blood work and all of that stuff and figure out what's going on in a very thorough way and more thorough than your average doctor is going to order for you in terms of like labs. Yeah, and unfortunately I've got clients in Canada which I've not been able to get the lab I use to run blood in Canada. I had a woman tell me that she went to her doctor over there. It's free healthcare, yay! But they won't run anything. They will only run your antibodies, which are very important. Everyone should have them run once a year. They won't run those for you unless you've got a massive TSH problem. Uh, But TSH is just a generic marker that doesn't tell us much. And so unfortunately, unless you've got a massive, massive thyroid issue, they won't even grant you the access to run these other antibodies. But here in the States or elsewhere listening, if you've got a functional medicine practitioner like myself or someone else that can run these markers, just request it. Just say, hey, full thyroid panel, please. And make sure you get your actual labs. I can't tell you how many times I hear people say the nurse called or the doctor called or the endocrinologist called and, and said, I'm fine. My thyroid looks fine. Fine is, it's a very nonspecific term. There's a functional range, there's an optimal range, and then there's the conventional range. The functional range is where we want you to be. So a TSH between one and two is going to be optimal. You may get your TSH back and it says 3.5. Your doctor says, ah, it's a little bit high. You're a little bit hypothyroid, but you're going to be okay. You want the functional range and you want the number. So make sure you request your labs and you actually get your numbers, not someone else's interpretation of your numbers. Cool. That's really good stuff. You see how much more I, I like get fired up when we start talking about this as opposed to herbs? I'm finding myself more interested in the functional medicine piece and less interested in like the nootropics and the all of that stuff because I feel like I've just tapped it out for so long that now I'm like, ah, blood work. Yes, yeah. give me the numbers because personally I got sick of dealing with health that was average. Like I feel okay. My gut feels okay. Oh, that food kind of tore me up. Oh, I had a bout of diarrhea. What the hell was that? Like I got so sick of that that now I don't even speak with someone about their health unless I've got clinical labs, stool testing, adrenal testing, hormone testing, thyroid labs, antibodies, looking for viruses, looking for Lyme disease, looking for co-infections. And I've taken tons and tons and tons of hours to, to learn how to apply things and create protocols based on that stuff. But without that info anymore, you're just guessing and checking. And the problem is everybody can say, oh, I heard about this product on a podcast or this blog post or this YouTuber posted about it. But it's like, there's a million things that might help you and can't hurt you, but we've all got supplement graveyards and I'm sick of having a supplement graveyard. So <laughs> that's funny, dude. I have one of those. Yeah. I have a special cabinet for like the stuff that costs money, but it didn't really resonate, but I still don't want to throw it away. Dude, yeah, you're still holding been... on to it. You've got it stashed away. It's like maybe there's one time where a nuclear disaster happens and I'm going to bring out this nascent iodine or whatever, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> Most people, they typically come to me with like 20 to 30 to 40 supplements they're taking, and I typically whittle it down to about five to seven, but yeah. it's based on labs, not, oh, it might help, can't hurt you. 
I agree, dude. That's great because for the amount of money that we people like us have spent on things that you know are great, but they aren't necessarily the needle moving things like ashwagandha, even stuff we've talked about, great. But if someone's thyroid is trashed or you're having these like systemic issues and infections and all this stuff, then you're just like putting lipstick on a pig, so to speak, in terms of your health, because you don't you're not targeting the treatments and the supplementation. You're just kind of, well, this shit's really good for you. Take a bunch of this. It's like, well, that may not solve the problem. So I, I yeah. really I love that approach, and I'm glad you're you're getting there with your practice too. It makes the most sense to me. Yeah, like turmeric. I mean, resveratrol, fish oil. There's a lot of cool stuff out there, but I mean, honestly, you've got to see what's going on. If you've got parasite infections that are stealing your nutrients, you know, I don't care how much turmeric you're using, it's not going to help fix your joint pain. If you've got mycoplasma pneumonia, which is a species that can affect the joints. So if you've got something like that attacking you, you've got to treat that. You can't just go take turmeric and fish oil and cross your fingers in a high quality probiotic because it's good for the microbiome. In some cases, you can take a probiotic and you can actually make a problem worse. I've had people take probiotics and they flare up. You know, They have more digestive complaints because when you get to a high level of bacterial overgrowth, which is generically called SIBO, when you get to a high level of bacterial overgrowth, sometimes you can't just throw a probiotic on it because it's like throwing the gas on the fire. Sometimes you've got to completely hit the reset button first, use the antimicrobial protocol, get rid of the infections first, and then you come in with the probiotic later. You seed and feed later, but sometimes if you try to just come in and take a probiotic off the shelf because you heard it's good for you, you could be making the situation worse. That's why I say spend a couple hundred bucks Get yourself tested, get a good DNA PCR-based stool test, figure out what's going on. I've had everything. Everything I deal with, I've had it. I've had parasites, I've had yeast, I've had bacteria. I've never gone out of the country. So, I mean, you know, one out of every three has parasites. I've tested about 1,200 people and counting. One in three has parasites. Two in three has bacterial infections, which can cause autoimmune disease. So if you've ever been diagnosed with Hashimoto's autoimmune thyroid disease, You've probably got Citrobacter or Klebsiella. These bacteria cause autoimmune disease. And then 2.5 out of every three has a yeast overgrowth, a candida overgrowth, which you can measure with a urine test called organic acids. And so fix those Dude, big needle movers and you're you going gonna... to... You said earlier that uh, if you do have candida overgrowth, that kombucha makes that worse? Well, in some cases, because I had a lady who was drinking five bottles of kombucha per day I ran an organic she's, acid panel. She must have been panel. getting drunk. <laughs> she, well, who knows? If she's drinking the alcohol version, the one that the yeah. GTs makes, probably a, a buzz. But I measured her with a urine test called organic acids. It measures two gases called tartaric acid and arabinose, which is the byproduct of uh, candida in the gut. It's kind of like measuring a tailpipe for emissions. Measured through the urine, and she was off the charts. It was one of the highest levels of yeast overgrowth I'd ever seen. And I, do- I dove into her, her diet a bit with her and she said, I drink about five kombuchas a day. I said, good Lord, you're at a point where too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Let's stop the kombucha. And we had to get the kombucha out of her diet uh, for quite some time. About six to eight weeks is the typical length of protocols I'll create. And then we started bringing in some herbs, some garlic, oregano, uh, several other different herbs that I use for yeast and got rid of it. And then she was able to add it back in. But man, I'll tell you, too much of a good thing can be a bad yeah. thing. Yeah. Last thing I wanted to cover with you was leaky gut. And I know that, you know, that in itself is a five hour podcast, but just 
It's something that people are hearing a lot about, and I'm sure some people listening don't really know what that is. So what is this? Not that it's a recent phenomenon, but it's something that's really being, you know, even in the mainstream health world now being looked at. What is leaky gut and what are some, you know, basic protocol that you use with people to help treat that and get rid of it? Leaky gut, I guarantee, well, I, I hate numbers when I throw them to a big audience. So I'll try to refrain, but I would say 80 to 90% of people listening probably have some element of leaky gut going on, which is intestinal permeability. And reason being, many reasons. Electromagnetic fields, so microwave radiation coming from cell phone towers, Wi-Fi, dirty electricity. There's the EMF component that affects the permeation of the gut barrier. You've got something called tight junctions. It's kind of like interlacing your fingers. And food, toxins, EMF, et cetera, can pull these tight junctions apart. Gluten is one of the most common damagers of the gut lining. When you pull apart those tight junctions, you've now opened your bloodstream up. So now these larger undigested food particles can get into the bloodstream, therefore triggering things like autoimmune disease. And so leaky gut's just the generic term. Technically, it's intestinal permeability if you want to search the literature for it. Um, but gluten, dairy, you know, peanuts, a lot of these allergenic foods can be triggers of leaky gut, therefore pulling this thing apart. Now, there's a lot of people out there that sell leaky gut supplements. I've seen leaky gut programs, online courses, and it kind of bothers me because a lot of these people, for one, they're not practitioners, so they've not done the dirty trench work, but two, it's not going to work. And then somebody has to come in and clean up the mess of this attempt to heal up leaky gut and why people fail and why these courses and books and stuff suck is because they're not addressing the root cause first. So for example, glutamine, I'm sure everyone's heard of L-glutamine. It's great. Glutamine can help to heal up the gut. You've got slippery elm, you've got marshmallow root, you've got chamomile flower, you've got okra extract, you've got zinc carnosine. You've got all sorts of different herbs and nutrients that can help heal a leaky gut. However, why come in and try to heal up the gut lining if you haven't removed the thing that's causing the issue in the first place, which could be citrobacter, Klebsiella, Proteus, Blastocystis hominis, which is a parasite, Dentamoeba fragilis, Giardia. You've got all these different pathogens that can cause the gut, even, even Candida. I used to think Candida was just like a buzzword for nutrition bloggers. Candida. I thought it was just like this hot little trendy topic, but I've realized it can cause systemic issues. I mean, it can cause brain fog. It could cause fatigue, sugar cravings, anxiety, depression. I've healed people from depression just by fixing yeast. I thought, what? Yeast? Depression? Like, are you serious? If you go take all these leaky gut fixes, but you haven't addressed what's causing it, you're wasting your money. And so any approach to heal leaky gut should involve first stool testing to identify what you're up against in terms of yeast, bacteria, fungus. Uh, I see a fungus a lot called geotrichum. So if anybody's got any fungus on their fingernails or their toenails, any, any amount, even just a tiny tip in the corner, if it's manifesting on the outside, it's on the inside. You've got to test for it. But I see a lot of fungal infections in the gut and you can treat those. You've just got to measure them and then your protocol is going to be based on what you're up against. So if it's like fungus plus bacteria plus yeast plus a parasite, you've got like four or five infections, which is very, very common. I'm going to have to use a heavy hitting protocol. And then once that's taken care of, you get your gut retested. You make sure that all the infections that could cause leaky gut's gone. You make sure that the diet's super clean. There's no grains. In most cases, it's an autoimmune paleo diet that I'm recommending lots of bone broth, um, collagen, peptides, hydrolyzed collagen, et cetera, a lot of these healing foods. 
Then we bring in the leaky gut supplements and then we restore the lining to the gut. H. pylori, that's another big one we didn't mention. Um, H. pylori is a bacterial infection that can cause ulcers and stomach cancer. You've got to remove that too. H. pylori is a big leaky gut cause and you've got to treat that. Conventional doctors will put you on triple therapy, now called quadruple therapy, which is three or four antibiotics at the same time. It doesn't work. H. pylori is a bacterial species. It's millions of years older than us. It's evolved. It's an antibiotic-resistant bug now. Um, You have to use herbs to successfully treat H. pylori. I've seen it. I've seen people come to me after going to the fancy gastroenterologist. They paid five grand to go to this specialist with 20 letters after his name. I test them, they still got the infection even after using rounds and rounds of antibiotics. Um, so herbs must come into play and you must eradicate H. pylori if you want to successfully heal a leaky gut. Dude, awesome. There's a lot in it. That's a really, actually a very great thorough explanation of something that's highly complicated. So thank you for that. That's awesome. Yeah, I was talking to, I think it's on my mind, I met a guy yesterday who had um, IBS and Crohn's disease really bad where he was just like out down for the count and he got into fecal transplants and actually met a donor and did like a full, I don't know, three month program of fecal transplants and healed his gut and the whole thing that way. So I'm like, wow, there's a lot of stuff kind of going on with this. It gets really interesting. But he said the same thing as like those infections and parasites and all this weird stuff going on is actually the root cause, not necessarily that you're eating, you know, sourdough bread or something, you know, it gets yeah. much deeper. So it's a yeah. complex issue, but y- yeah, Fe- fecal you know. transplants work. Um, I would reserve it for a last ditch effort. Like if I had an autoimmune disease like Crohn's, I would probably do it. The only reason I say it's a last ditch effort is because you get personality changes as well. Um, <laughs> you start turning into the donor. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, dude. Yeah. There, there, there's some interesting stories out there about fecal transplant recipients who started to love jazz music and love French fries and all sorts of things. <laughs> oh, I, I get goosebumps and then they chat with the donor and the donor's like, oh yeah, I love French fries. I love jazz music. And they pick up their personality traits as well. So I've had several reports of people saying that they've got fecal transplants and then they started to develop bipolar disorder and they found out the donor was bipolar as well. So for me, you've really got to do a good job, just like I wouldn't let any mom just randomly give my daughter her breast milk, especially if she's taking pharmaceutical drugs like antidepressants, um, because those drugs go into the breast milk. Same thing with the stool. You've got to really get a good thorough intake of the mental health of the fecal transplant donor first, because you're going to modify your brain chemistry. That's interesting. Yeah, it took my friend Jordan about a year to find a suitable donor, and he had to run all sorts of labs. I think he ran $4,000 worth of labs on the guy that finally became his donor. He'd never been on antibiotics, no mental illness, all that stuff. Wow. Yeah, and he found a, I mean, it's crazy that he found a donor and then he went through the whole thing. It's, it's an American story. I'm going to have him on the show at some point, but I'm, I'm going to text him and be like, dude, are, <laughs> did you start liking jazz music or did you like become randomly bisexual or like have any like, you know, big life changes after the transplant period, you know, and do they match that of the donor? Really interesting stuff, man. That is a trip. That's a trip. All right. Well, we've been on forever. I appreciate your time. This is obviously going to be a double episode like I love to do because there's just so much stuff. I can't stop. I still have a list of like 10 topics. So we'll, well do another well, one. If you got any rapid fire, let's hit those. And then uh, and then my brain will probably be, uh, will be toast here. All right. What's the best test for heavy metals, hair or urine? I use a combination. So okay. uh, you can use urine. I'm not a huge fan of chelation, so like the DMSA and all of that to really push heavy metals because most people I'm working with are so sick 
that the act of chelation to measure heavy metals typically makes them sick. If you're just super healthy and you think, oh, I've got heavy metals, sure, maybe you could try chelation. But for me, some people, it makes them too sick. And uh, I've had people do the, like the DMSA or uh, the DMSO, these different chelation methods to measure urine, heavy metals. Yeah, I, I recently did that, yeah. Yeah, and I've had, I've had people that are bedridden for a week after doing that testing. So uh, I'm a huge fan of doing blood for metals. That's actually my preferred method is blood metals and Quicksilver Scientific out of Colorado. They've got a really good heavy metals blood test. And then if you show up with something high like mercury, you can do something called a tri-test, which is a combination of hair, urine, and blood. So you can really dive apart whether it's methyl, mercury, or the other types of mercury. And then you can kind of judge your toxicity based on that. Interesting. And what about getting them out? For myself, for example, I have crazy high lead. And it's just like... I'll send you a couple email recommendations, but I will okay. be doing a, a modified citrus pectin every day. Uh, citrus pectin's great. I'd be taking probably about five grams of citrus pectin per day for you. And then also um, there's some cool things with like phase two liver detox that I'll send you. I'll send you a couple good recommendations. Amino acids are great. You can really do a lot of good work with with amino acids for metals. So I'll send you a couple recommendations, awesome. but um, uh, modified citrus pectin is going to be a game changer. Cool. Awesome, man. Thanks for the tip. Well, I think that about uh, wraps up the questions with the exception of my final question. So you, every time I talk to you, blow my mind. You teach me so many new things or at least expand on things that I have a slight awareness of. You've taught the audience tons of stuff today. So name three teachers or teachings that have been influential in your life. Could be a book, an expert, a guru, anything of that nature. I think you did this to me last time and it was really damn hard. Um, let me try. Let me try here. Why Stomach Acid is Good for You by Dr. Jonathan Wright. I may have mentioned that last time, so if I did, I apologize. But look up. It's um, okay. I don't, I don't remember, but it's fine either way. Uh, all right. So look up the book Why Stomach Acid is Good for You by Dr. Jonathan Wright. It's a great book about how uh, after age 20, you make less and less hydrochloric acid and enzymes every year. And that sets you up to pick up more infections because hydrochloric acid neutralizes bacteria and parasites. So as you get older and you make less and less acid, contrary to popular belief, you're making. Uh, less acid as you get older, not more acid. When you have super low stomach acid, you get heartburn. So you need more acid, not acid-blocking drugs. We'll chat about that on another show. Um, What else do I got in my book pile here? Lights Out by T.S. Wiley. Great book, one of the best books ever. And also Do the Work by Stephen Pressfield or anything by Stephen Pressfield. Do the work, The War of Art. Um, He's got a book called Nobody Wants to Read Your Shit. He's got a book called Turning Pro. Uh, Stephen Pressfield's great. Basically, he helps you to get out of your own way. Most of the time, it's us. We're the problem in our lives. It's not someone else. It's typically us, and we try to blame it on others. Typically, it's some kind of mental block in our head that's preventing us from achieving the life or being the person that we want to we, we want to be. So um, Stephen Pressfield, he's, he's a game changer, and it's completely unrelated to health and wellness, which is probably a refresher for your audience. Cool. I love it. I mean, I'm really into the personal development stuff and I've been interviewing some more people in that space. So I love those recommendations. That's awesome. All right. So people are hearing your level of expertise and you're obviously talking about the clients that you work with. So how can people find your work and work with you if they want to pursue that? Sure. Yeah. Just Google Evan Brand or you could just check out the website. It's evanbrand.com now. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So they could check out the podcast and you've been on there. You'll be back on there. I've got about 240 plus episodes. Uh, so how, many download, how many downloads are you up to now? So I stopped counting at 7 million. 
Oh my god, dude, that's crazy! I'm like, I'm, I'm a year in. I'm at six hundred thousand. I'm like, I gotta hit a million by the end of the year. Oh, you that's will. incredible, dude. You, you will, man. You will. So, uh, so the podcast is there. People could check that out. I, I've gone much, much deeper into you know, kind of the functional medicine approach to things. And then if they want to work with me, they could just schedule on my website. I've got a girl named Megan. She's a nutritional therapist who she does intakes with everybody now. So she'll chat with you for fifteen minutes about people's symptoms and their goals and see if you're a good fit. And if you're a good fit for care, happy to take you under my wing, get you some of these labs run because without the clinical data, you're really just guessing and checking. That's my philosophy is test, don't guess. I guessed for so long that I got sick of it. So that's when I became a functional medicine practitioner. And this is what I do around the world with people on phone and Skype. So look me up and uh, stalk me and you'll learn more about me listening to the show. Awesome, dude. I'm ready to schedule one of those 15-minute calls. I'm like, man, I need to work on this stuff. I, I, well, I think we were supposed to get you an adrenal test, and then I don't know what happened. I don't know if I dropped the ball or, or what happened. Oh, but, uh, when I, I texted you my cortisol test, yeah. I think, and you're like, eh, that one's like not so good. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Okay, I'm going to follow up. Actually, I'm going to make a note of that. Yeah, so I, I need test. to get you taken care of if we've still got some uncovered pieces, uh, especially okay. your gut, too. I mean, I, I think here's the deal with like cortisol and adrenals. A lot of times there's a root in the gut. So yeah, you could go take a bunch of adrenal supplements, but if you've not addressed the gut, that's probably either that or the liver. A lot of times there's issues with like phase two liver detox problems and that could affect the adrenals. So we'll um we'll chat and we'll awesome, have some fun. Man. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on again. Always a pleasure, dude. And uh, until next time, you be well and have a great 4th of July. You too, Luke. All right, bye, Evan. Bye. Well, if we were all in the same room right now, I would uh, I would recommend a round of applause for our friend Evan in an amazing episode. But when you only hear one clap, it gets a little awkward. So I'm just excited having jumped off this call. I hope that you learned a lot. Every time I talk to Evan, I just get my mind blown. Like I can never stop. That's why when I talk to people like that, if they're willing to give me two hours, I just roll and make it a double episode. So I want to make sure that you tune back in on Friday. And if you forget to tune in, an easy way to make sure you don't miss the second half of these long, epic double shows that I do is to just subscribe to the podcast. Then they're just going to land on your device without you having to do a goddamn thing. But uh, yeah, I really love the interview with Evan. I hope that you learned tons. I know that I did. It's uh, it's funny when you know guests are stupid enough to give me their cell phone number because after we get off, I'm always like, like I've been texting Evan all day. What about this? What about that? I sent him a PDF in my Dropbox of like my last poop test and like, hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And uh, you know, I, I try to take it easy because he's not technically my my health coach, but uh, dude just knows so much about so many things about the human body and health. It's hard to resist. So thank you again for joining me. Don't forget to tune in Friday, and I will be in your eardrums real soon. Mm -hmm.